Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 10, 17 through 31. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Have you ever uh, held on to something just a little bit too long? Like, I, I have. I, do, I, I hold on to ideas maybe a little too long, and I, I follow them to the point where, like, they, they don't make any sense anymore. Like, I, I write, I'm in school, and I write some papers, and sometimes I hold on to an idea so long, and I write so much, and then I get to the end of it, and I'm like, this makes absolutely no sense. And it's just, it's just bad. You know, I've got to start all over again. Like, like I'm, I'm starting this paper, and I've written three different introductions. With the, and, and so it's just, it's just bad. I, I think, though, um, if you're like me, you've experienced this too. But I, this question, if holding on to something too long, it got me to thinking, and I don't know why I was drawn to this particular movie. Um, I'm going to spoil the movie Titanic for you, okay? All right. So what would have happened? This is the question I've had. What would have happened had Jack left go? Like, and tried to find somewhere else to, to get out of the water. Now, we can talk about, like, there's plenty of room on that little piece of wood for both of them. Uh, there's all that whole kind of conversation. But what would have happened if he would have been like, ah, uh, I love you as much as I can, but I'm going to go try to find something that might save my life rather than just kind of endlessly dying here. Uh, I, I, I wonder how often we, we hold on 
to the wrong things. I think in, the, in this passage specifically, where we are going today, I'm going to tell you why, why, where we end up at the end, that we hold on to things, different things for each of us. In, in this passage, it's money, possessions. We hold on to things, and it causes us not to follow God as closely or as faithfully as we should. Holding on sometimes too long leads us down the path we should rather not like to go. For me, it's having to write a whole lot of extra words. For Jack, it was death. It's not funny at all. Like, okay, all right. Well, we've been, we've been going through the, the book of Mark, and last week we talked about um, Jesus telling, uh, telling his disciples, like, beware if you cause anybody to stumble, any little one, any, any new person uh, in the faith, is what we kind of said, that it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. Uh, and obviously, that's a pretty bleak end. You end up dead in that scenario. Uh, but Jesus was really, really concerned that the way that religious folks specifically handle themselves, the way they practice and live out their faith, he's, he's wanting them to be faithful uh, and not just for show. Uh, to, to truly do what they say, and, and we kind of went through some examples of that now. Uh, what's really clear from that, though, is, is that God and Jesus is really, really concerned about the well-being of those who are vulnerable. Um, those who are vulnerable in the faith, who are new. Uh, but the very next... Um, well, that theme kind of continues as we go down. We skipped a little bit before we get to today. And uh, uh, Jesus gets asked a question about divorce, and there's a lot of things happening in that particular passage. And while divorce is the main issue, it's not like Jesus' main point. Uh, because divorce in Jesus' day ended up creating women who were, well, nobody wanted a divorced woman in Jesus' day. And they became very, very vulnerable, vulnerable and often having to resort to uh, uh, you know, irre- irreputable activities to support themselves. And so Jesus is saying, hey, hey, this isn't good, not because it's just a severing of a relationship, but because it creates, uh, creates someone who is completely vulnerable uh, in the world to, to really bad things happening. I would do that. Hopefully I won't fall. Uh, in the very next passage, Jesus, uh, these little kids are starting to come to him, and the disciples want to shoo him away, and Jesus is like, no, no, you like, got to let them, let them come. These, these little children, they're, they're dependent uh, children, again, were not very, I've said this a million times, they weren't very important in Jesus' day, and so, like, they were vulnerable as well, and, and Jesus is saying, as, as much as you welcome one of these, like, you, you welcome me, Jesus is concerned about those who are vulnerable. Um, at, at the same time, though, the, the children, they are completely dependent on someone else for their survival. I, I, it's, it's the same today, right? If, I, if, if Laura and I left our kids alone for any amount of time, they would die <laughs> of starvation. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Because you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? They're, like, they're, just, they're totally dependent on adults for survival. And, and I think this, this segues into what Jesus is going to say in this encounter with this next guy. Uh, that we are to become like children 
in our dependency upon God for all the good things. And away we go. Well, um, Jesus and the disciples are um, setting off from where they were, and they're going to another region in Judea. And uh, they get a little way, way off, and Mark tells us, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, this is Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, now, we hear eternal life, and, and maybe you get a particular image in your mind. Uh, really, kind of in the, in the Jewish thought of the day, it would, have been, it would have been more appropriate to talk about the age to come. Israel had this hope that God was going to come and restore all things and make all things new, and that, and that Israel would be at the center of that. And so this man is asking, how, how is it that I can participate in the kingdom that you are bringing? Uh, how is it that I can can be a part of what you're doing uh, in the very end of things to make all things right? Uh, and uh, he, he asks this, and Jesus is a little thrown back, though. He's like, why do you call me good? Only God is good, which is a little confusing um, because we all confess that Jesus is God. There's some things happening in Mark there. Uh, well, he said, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And then he offers the, uh, the kind of the stock response here. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. You shall shall honor your father and mother. Notice these are like the the Ten Commandments, right? Like Moses gets them. Uh, This is the bedrock of of Israel's faith. Uh, But notice that he only quotes, he doesn't quote all of them, but he only quotes the ones that, uh, that end up having to do with our relationship with other people. Um, obviously, it's hard to have someone, uh, a, relationship with, a good relationship with someone you've murdered. Um, uh, adultery speaks for itself. Stealing obviously breaks, breaks a whole lot of relationships, uh, creates vulnerability, false witness, uh, defrauding, and then honoring our father and mother. By the way, I really think that honoring our father and mother, and I think I've said this before, is more about us taking care of our parents in their old age than it is about not talking back when you're little. No. No. (laughs) I do believe that's the first time someone's told me no when I was preaching. I won't tell them if you won't tell them? Okay, all right. Whew. Amen. Well, without hesitation, he says, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Uh, this man, he's, he's good. Uh, he, he knows something that the, even like the religious leaders in, in Mark's Gospels don't really know. They, like the religious the scribes and the Pharisees, they are, they are against Jesus because they, n- they have no confidence that he is who he says he is or, or that he's actually doing any kind of business of God. And so they're trying to trip him up. But this man, he's good. Like he recognizes something in Jesus that is, well, that is good and right, and, and you know, he confesses that. He calls him good teacher. Uh, and uh, so he's, he's on his way. I, I love the response, though, that Jesus gives, well, what Mark tells us. Uh, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Uh, if you, those of you who maybe are our parents will understand this. When your kid 
goes and does something that they were supposed to do, like all of their chores without being asked or hounded to do. And they come up to you and they tell you, I've done it all. I've made my bed. I took out the trash. Like your only response in that particular moment is to look at them and love them, right? Uh, maybe that's just me because they fight us all the time. I don't or, or if you hear a report that your, your kid has, has just done something good and right and kind and loving. Like you see that and your only response is then to look with love upon your children. I, I, think, I think that's what Jesus is experiencing in this moment, that he's, he sees this man who is trying so very hard to love God and his neighbor. And he sees in Jesus something, something good and right and special, and he comes up to him and he's like, I've done all of those things. I've, I've watched out for the vulnerable. I've, I've not defrauded anybody or stolen or caused trouble. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, this is good. I love you. That's what he says. He doesn't say it. Jesus said, you lack one thing, go and sell what you own. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Uh, The man, we are told, turns around and walks away in a dejected manner. And uh, now this would have been like a a pretty startling request on Jesus' part. Because it was common to understand that if you were wealthy, if you had lots of, of goods, that you were an upright and moral and righteous person in God's eyes. You obviously had done something right because God loves you and he's blessing you with these things. That's, that's kind of the whole subtext of the book of Job, by the way. Um, and, and so to have someone say, in order for you to follow God, you've got to give it all away, would have just been... Would've just been kind of mind-blowing. And, and I think his disciples are there, and, uh, and they are having a really, really hard time putting the pieces together. Like, but, 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 but this isn't how we, we think about this. Like, how is he supposed to help anything if, if he gives it all away? And, and so Jesus, uh, he looks at them and sees them, and he, I think he understands, like, the, the, I don't know, the burning smoke that might be coming out of their head as they're trying to process this. And I, I think this is a common thing for the disciples, And he looks at them and he said to his disciples, how hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And uh, and again, they're just, they're they're crazy trying to figure this out. And he goes on a little further and said, and the disciples were perplexed by these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Again, again, crazy thoughts from Jesus. Now, they're, they're thinking, like, Jesus is bringing his kingdom, and, and like, we want in, and, and riches is blessings, but you're saying that it's really, really hard for someone who's got all this wealth and stuff to enter the kingdom of God, and and I just didn't understand. And so Jesus says it again, right? He, he leaves off the wealth part, but children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I think Jesus is, is painting a picture here that, that even without the riches, maybe it's, 
Maybe it's impossible. Maybe it's really, really difficult for us on our own to end up inside the kingdom of God, that, that we might experience communion with God and salvation and all of those things. Uh, and uh, by the way, it, it's, it's, it's common to believe that in the wall around Jerusalem, there was a gate that was really tiny and that it was like the needle's eye. And it was common to think that like a camel couldn't get down through there unless it like shimmied under. And uh, I think I thought that one time and no such gate exists. But I, I think that, that Jesus is just painting a picture, the absurdity of, of thinking of seeing something as large as a camel, the biggest animal around fitting through the eye of a needle. So the disciples are like, ah, who can be saved then? Like, this seems, this seems really, really tough. You've just kind of flipped our world upside down. You've, you've undone our understanding of, of what wealth is. It's not a, it is a blessing from God, but it's not just because they're, they're righteous and good. And Jesus responds, and he looked at them, and he said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For, for God, all things are possible. You and I cannot do anything uh, to enter the kingdom of God on our own. Uh, but what we confess over and over again, at least what I, what I want us to confess, what I try to confess, is that all of the good things that we have from God are from God and they are gifts. And so even the salvation that God has given to us is a gift. If there is anything that Jesus has done, it has come to make the impossible possible for us. That you and I might have faithful relationship with God. That we may faithfully and obediently follow in the footprints of Jesus Christ. It goes on, it says, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold in this age Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. Now we can look at this and we say, okay, yeah, Jesus is making this possible way. Uh, and actually Peter, like he responds to this. He, he begins to think and he says, uh, but Jesus, like we've given up everything. Literally, like we, we left our boats and our nets and we dropped it all and we came and we followed you. And uh, he's saying, though, Jesus is saying, because you have been faithful, because you have let go of all of those things uh, that you are going to then receive. Now, I have a caveat here. Uh, this may sound like, especially, uh, well, especially this part, houses and mothers and childrens and fields, it may sound like if we do X, then God will bless us with this. Kind of lead us back to the, if you are a righteous person, God will bless you. But this isn't a, like a health and wealth or prosperity gospel. Because you notice at the end of that, in fields, with persecutions. Like Jesus caps this really good list uh, with something that isn't, isn't so great. Uh, one commentator that I read has this to say about it. 
So as persecutions are mentioned as not all will imbibe the kingdom values. But the essential point is that giving up is not impoverishment, but being free in order to share. Such sharing enlarges one's home, one's family, and one's possession. Again, he's not talking about like, if you share all that you have, God's going to bless you financially. But when you surrender, when you give up, what you gain in the kingdom of God are brothers and sisters in Christ, an extension of family and community, people who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you, right alongside, helping you to find where you're going as God helps them and you both. I, I, I think this is the... I think this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. It's kind of, it's paradoxical, right? Like, the more, the more you give up, the more you give up, the more God gives to you. Again, don't take that in, like, money. The more you want to be last, the more you'll be first in the kingdom of God. I, I think... Uh, I think we, we get tripped up a little bit, though. I, I think we don't always understand what Jesus is saying, and, and we have a tendency uh, to come to God with the same kind of questions that this man has. Uh, that, that we want to know, like, what it is that we can do. How much does God actually require from me? What does God actually want from me so that I can be, wow, find salvation or go to heaven when I die or, or whatever? And I think those are the wrong questions to ask because, because it looks at and sees that, the, our, that what we have with God is not a relationship, but that it's a transaction. And that we're a certain way and that God does certain things for us. Rather than we confess that all good things we have are from God. We hold them lightly. We let go of them. We surrender as an act of response to God's gifts. And it is in that giving up that we find salvation. It's in that giving up that we find all of the things that God has created, created us to become. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. But I'm convinced. I'm convinced that's what's happened. It's what's happening. As we let go, God gives. He helps us. Sometimes that looks like the people around us, too. I think um, what Jesus wanted from that man was for him to let go of the thing that was keeping him from following God fully. It just happened to be wealth in this particular point. Uh, by the way, I, I meant to say this earlier, we can't make this like prescriptive for everybody. Like this is Jesus talking to this man. God has blessed a lot of people who do a lot of really, really good things with their wealth. But I have to believe it's because they've given it they've let it go 
They've surrendered it. I think when we, when we come to see and understand that the things we have are a gift from God and that we hold them lightly and we, we render them back in, in an act of worship and, and giving, that we, that we begin to understand more fully how it is that we should live and follow Jesus. Following Jesus, learning to live in the depths of our very, very being, we learn to live like Jesus lived. Following Jesus is learning to become authentically everything that God has created us to be in the first place. Following Jesus means learning to truly commune with God who created us. We cannot do that when we are holding on to things that are not God. That may be for you, money. I don't know. Uh, we can't truly follow God when we are finding our identity in maybe our employment or our position of uh, status or power within the, the company we work for or when we're finding our identity in the, in the people we know or all those kinds of things that we hold on to. I don't know what that thing is for you. I think I know what it is for me. It gets in the way every single time of us seeing Christ clearly for who he is and following faithfully. I think, I think every day we are confronted with this choice. We have a conversation with God. And God says to us, I need you to let go of this and follow me. I think we have the choice to be like the man and walk away dejected. Or we can begin to learn how to let those things go. There's a, a line from a song, David Crowder Band. It's kind of old, relatively, for some of you. Uh, it goes like this. Maybe like a match being lit or the sinking of a ship, letting go gives a better grip. If we want, as people, to be who God is calling us to be, then we got to let go. If we want, as a church, to be what God is calling us to be, then maybe we have to let go of things from the past, too. I want, I want us to follow Jesus like this man didn't. I want us to, to let go of being dependent on the things that are not God so that we can be dependent on God to, to lead us in the places that we should go. Amen. Dear Lord, we uh, confess um, that we get our, our thoughts mixed up and we think the world is one way and it's not. And when you tell us it's not that way, we have a hard time accepting it. Uh, so we come to you and we confess that we have not uh, been as dependent as we should be. Help us to surrender this place in the church that you have called here in Fulton. Help us to surrender ourselves in faithfulness. Uh, we invite your spirit to be with us as individuals and as a church so that we might continually journey 
and faithful obedience. Uh, that when we might reach to take up whatever that thing might be again, that you would gently remind us to let it go again. And we thank you for your graciousness and your faithfulness. That even though we have and will continue to mess up and chase after things that are not you, that will lead us away from you, that you have given us grace and forgiveness as you are always calling us back to you. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.